Welcome back, everybody. It's What Would the Smart Party Do? I'm back in the chair with my good sparring partner, Gaz, on the other end of the line. How are you, Gaz? Hi, Baz. How are you doing? Awesome, mate. Awesome. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been podcasting together. We've had special guests. You've been on your travels. You've been doing some stuff. We've been playing some games. So it's good to have a good old catch up. So um, uh, the topic for this week, um, as suggested by nobody in particular, we decided to be a bit selfish this week and revisit a topic that we've discussed a few times in private. So let's thrash it out again in public. But we're going to take the smart party into space and... <laughs> and see if there's any good gaming to be had in them, the asteroids. So, guys, sci-fi, role-playing games, why is it so bloody hard? I don't really know. I know that it is. For many a year, we've been looking for the right sci-fi game, haven't we? I think yeah. if you like the sort of uh, if you like sci-fi that's kind of a bit more um, pulpy, I think pulpy games generally, with like Fate and Savage Worlds and all the rest of it, they're served quite well. So if you want something like this Bulldogs for Fate or, you know, that sort of thing where you've got um, Flash Gordon type of adventure, there's a bunch of stuff with Savage as well, uh, like Slipstream and all those sort of games. Pulpy stuff you can do. But if you want, like, proper in inverted common science fiction, I think it's really hard to find a good game that works for a variety of reasons. So my personal preference would be something that's a bit more hard sci-fi or proper futuristic or have real aliens, if you don't mean that, aliens as not just humans with a, a special nose graft of plasticine or something like that. Uh, so, yes, I don't know. I think science fiction struggles um, for many reasons. And the first one I'm going to throw out there and see what you think about is due to the scope. So uh, if you play Traveller or something like that, as we both have in the past, and we played some nice one-shots of it at conventions, it's good old reliable game. One of the things it struggles with with the campaign, I feel, is that you go to a different planet every week or... Or that sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? So, if you play in Earth Dawn, which we have to mention because it's our favourite, you're in Bar Save and you, you can explore different bits of it, but the world stays the same and the, the surroundings are very familiar. There seems to be a preponderance in sci-fi games that each planet you go to is going to be different. There's the ice planet and the underwater one and the desert planet and the one with the strange mist and all that kind of stuff. And I think perhaps the players get a little bit lost and they're trying to work out what the game world looks like every time you play because your ship turns up at a different planet and it's all different. What do you think to that? Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, just to backtrack a little bit, I suppose we need to sort of back up our premise here because you and I kind of, we, like I say, we've had this discussion before, but I suppose our premise is for this question is... Um, over the years that we've had role-playing games, clearly fantasy has always been the king of role-playing games from a popularity point of view. You know, D and D's the old eight hundred pound gorilla, and there's uh, it's never really been moved from that position. And if it has been, it's been by stuff like Pathfinder. So fantasy has always been like you know the number one game, and that's weird when you look at some of the other media that are around there because if there's a science fiction film. That's, you know, that's always does gangbusters, doesn't it? And everybody loves a bit of sci-fi in their comics and certainly in their films. But it's, it's never really become like the most popular genre to role play in, which is bonkers in some ways. You look at video games, for example. Right, there's loads of fantasy role playing games there too, but there's Mass Effect and, uh, Half-Life, all of that kind of stuff. And, and I, I don't know, I think in recent years, maybe even post-apocalyptic gaming has maybe pushed science fiction down the league another notch. I don't know, Maybe. but it's it, it may well be, you could call that science fiction, but I, I think we're talking about spaceships, aren't we? Uh, and, and to your point as well, I think that idea of cruising around the universe and, and having your scenarios all set in completely different environments, which is one of the points of exploration, I suppose, that that can be a bit jarring. Now, you guarantee at this point that there'll be some diehard Traveller fans, uh, and no fan is as diehard as the Traveller fan. Um, yeah, playing their game since 1977. Yeah, possibly, yeah. The Gloranthans and the Traveller fans. Yeah, that would be an interesting dinner party. But your, your Traveller fans, they would, they are champing at the bit now saying, but this is exactly what we like about the game. You know, that the universe is limit, limitless and all of that kind of stuff. But I find it jarring. I remember playing Traveller way, way, way back and learning about world codes. Um, and that was, uh, universal planetary profiles. And that was one of the points, wasn't it? You know, that you would, you would jump across the subsector looking at the profiles of the worlds and trying to find 
who's got the biggest law level so we can avoid them uh, where's all the red zones at where's the death planet where's the slave planet where's the one that's got all of the real cool space spice that we can do smuggling and there had to be those differences they had in order to make the almost the game economy work well it was it did it was a little bit burdensome um more so than encumbrance in D&D, which you could easily jettison, pardon the pun. But you, you can't play your big interstellar sci-fi game without traveling and, and having to figure out how gravity affects everything every single time you do a scenario. I don't, mm. could be overthinking it, guys, but I think you're right about the scope stuff, mate, for sure. Yeah, I think there were, there were um, good campaigns of played with that sort of stuff, but it involved a lot of inventiveness with the GM, probably more so than than normal. So uh, quite often every planet, it, it was kind of like um, the TV shows, I guess, sort of like Firefly or Star Trek or something, so that every planet you go to is is our thing. So as I sort of alluded to earlier, there is like the ice planet, or there's half or whatever you want to call it. But there were, there were like different continents, and some were hot and some were warm and at different low levels, unless you had like two opposing factions on a planet, and so that's fine. It went. Every planet had to be quite like the whole planet is this, so that you can get a handle on it. Um, I, don't, I don't know really, I don't know what the, the answer was to that because it's trying to get that shared headspace. And I think, in, in one respect, you do want the differences, but it's being able to get your players into the same headspace as you as quickly as possible. And having to do that every week is a bit of a challenge, I think. So I quite liked um, the idea behind Diaspora, or Diaspora, however you want to pronounce it, which was the fake game that has a little cluster. It's got a nice little uh, iconograph type thing of six different systems that are all linked together in various ways. Uh, and that limits the scope while still having quite a lot of difference. Uh, and because it's fake, like your different systems all have uh, the tags or aspects uh, and the different governments have little aspects as well. You, you can very quickly get uh, three things for each planet or each system or whatever, which give them enough flavour to make you interested. And you're limited in scope, so you're not constantly wandering off around the galaxy forever. Uh, and I think that that was really good. I, I don't know if six is the right number, if it's too few, too many, but it was good to have some kind of limit to it all, so you weren't completely limitless. Uh, and uh, that way, is if you play that as a campaign, you can get a bit of familiarity and they know if they have to go yeah. back somewhere, they've got some feel about it and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that that was one yeah. way of doing it, solving not necessarily a problem, as you say, some people really like having the little scope, but the problem that I perceive is that you don't get enough familiarity and you can kind of lose track of where you're going and what you're doing and everything becoming a caricature by rebuilding on places you've visited before and discovering new things about them. Mm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that diaspora game we played. Um, and, but the reason I enjoyed it so much was because we all did spend a, a, a good chunk of the game slot, if not the previous game slot, coming up with the system and, and getting into that shared headspace. And, and that, that can be a good thing for any campaign, regardless of genre. But it was really, really needed because it seems weird when you sit down with people and go, let's play some sci-fi role-playing. And, uh, and if you pick a generic rule set like Savage Worlds or, or D20 Space or, or whatever you want to choose... You can't just go at that point. You can't just make up characters and go because, and you can do that in fantasy and clearly you can do that in modern day. Um, because you can just chuck a few films out there or a few books or comics just to get everyone in the same space, but that's difficult to do with space stuff. And I know my preferences, um, and I know yours as well, Kaz, because we've had to talk about it. But if you showed up at a con and with a bunch of strangers said, we're going to play a sci-fi game. One of them's going to be into Firefly. One of them's going to be into Aliens. One of them's going to be into, I don't know, so probably some Japanese anime stuff. Um, and somebody might be into Buck Rogers. And it's all sci-fi, but God help you run that game and have everybody enjoy themselves. Because it's just, you know, it's limitless. That's the best and worst thing about the universe all in one go. So, you know, having some universe setting stuff is really, really handy. And then on the flip side, you go to the other extreme and so many of the really good sci-fi rpg properties the ones that i really want to work and I've, I've not been terribly successful with have gone to the trouble of giving you a really really good setting to get your teeth into i know you like blue planet for example and i quite like uh, eclipse phase they're two examples of of game properties that have got loads and loads and loads of great setting but it's almost too much 
because then if you want to play in it, you've got to kind of do homework. It's yeah. not necessarily easy to just to, to pull a one shot to get a photo. I'm not saying it's impossible. and We were not saying that about anything, are we? But it's difficult with those ones because it's like, right, uh, I'm going to have to pull a couple of books off the shelf here and really do my reading before we get to play. And that, that will stop you getting a game going half the time. Yeah, it's quite funny you should mention Blue Planet, actually, because that is a game, like I said, really good background. It's, it's limited because they stopped writing it, so you've only got a set number of books, I guess. But even in that, they sort of say to you, go decide what kind of Blue Planet game you want. So even in a sci-fi game set on just one planet and with some resource material, it's like, what, what are you actually doing? Are your GEO marshals going to try and find this stuff out in the wacky uh, outlands and stuff like that? Are you smugglers? Do you work for corporations? Are you freedom fighters? Are you eco-warriors? Are you trying to bring the corporations down? Uh, do you want to play like elite where you're trading stuff around the place like you do in Traveller? Uh, there's a, a whole bunch of things you can do with it. It's quite a complete setting, but then to work out the scope, I think is the most important thing again with it. It's, it's really weird. And it was written by someone who's quite into his uh, ocean world stuff. So you had things on decompression and all the rest of it and how fast it can go up and go down depths which is fine but then you're sort of straying into the territory of how interested are my players in how long you've got to stay in a decompression chamber which you can skip over in game but yeah. the amount of detail was probably a little bit intimidating and wondering whether you perhaps want a, a less comprehensive guide to your sci-fi world the more the the high-level stuff. I mean, Blue Planet's great. I recommend it to anyone, but do be prepared to read through quite a few books and then decide how how or what sort of game you want to play against. Um, so the, I, yeah. I think what, that's one of the things that, you know, in a fantasy game, you mentioned that, that that's quite easy, and I think you're right. All you really want to know there is what can your spells do? Is there magic and that sort of thing? Or do you have, uh, is it like Wolfram? We have guns. And, and apart from that, you've got more stuff covered. You know, do dragons fly or not? It doesn't really matter. Whereas in sci-fi, it's kind of like, are there lasers? Can you teleport? Uh, is there a government? Is there a, you know, the, the, the questions you can ask there are quite strong. So it's, it's kind of knowing what you can do or what, if you do it, would be wrong or seen as wrong for that setting. Uh, that's one of the places I think that the sci-fi really struggles as well because of the, again, a limitless scope or the different varieties of TV shows and novels and all the rest of it there are. Everyone's got a different idea, you know. Are the lightsabers, or is that ridiculous? Um, you know, do you have to deal with mm. micro or do you assume that every ship's got its own gravity and you know, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, they're all good questions, and they all need answers, actually, don't they? Because I, I think uh, with with your fantasy setup, your classic fantasy setup, it's a much simpler world in in loads of different ways. Because you know, I very rarely had anybody say to me in a first session of any fantasy campaign, regardless of system, has anyone ever said to me, "What does the money look like? How does money work?" But that's that's a totally legit question in the first session of any sci-fi game. Um, and people don't ask that in modern games either, because clearly we know how stuff works. So the modern world is very, very complex, but we understand it. We know what the internet does. We know how phones operate and, and you know what a job is and what buildings are like. And fantasy goes back in history a little bit, and everybody knows what a mountain looks like and a forest, and everyone's got a visualisation of a dragon. They take it far forward, and... I, th I think it's just getting everybody on the same page, isn't it? Mm. And that's quite an obstacle unless you want to do the setting generation stuff that you mentioned in Fate. And, and I have had, I've had success in, in science fiction games and I've ran a really nice, very a short campaign, um, set in space using the generic Fate rules, not Diaspora or anything else like that. But that was because we all kind of like got our index cards out and started thinking about what it looked like and got a bit of tone and all the rest of it. And then we were fine. And once you get over that first hurdle, and I think that might be the secret to sci-fi campaigning, is it probably doesn't kick in until the third session, maybe even fourth or fifth, um, yeah. whereas other games give you more immediate bang for your buck. They might fizzle quicker. You know, it's like dead easy to start a superhero game, I think, because you can just be in a team and fight crime. But that might run out of legs after a few sessions, whereas science fiction campaigns might be just hitting their stride. So my pet theory is that there's a bit of a hump to get over. Um, the question is whether you want to do that, whether you can find people who are going to be patient enough for that. And I think modern day gamers and gaming probably don't have the patience to do that. I don't know. What do you recommend? Yeah, less. So. I think you're right. I think it requires investment. And it's, the, the trouble is, I think, is that you've got that investment hump. But it then requires that when you're in three or four sessions in, that everybody likes the thing that you created. You know, like you see, oh, yeah, you've, got, yeah. you've got all these different <laughs> flavors, and someone's expecting Star Trek, and someone's expecting Firefly. 
So four weeks in, one of them's really happy, and the other one wants to know why he can't teleport in the, the right phases, and he has to use a handgun. You know, it's, it's kind of it's more than anything. I think with any game, you need people on the same page, but it's getting getting over that hump, and then ended up with somewhere somewhere that everybody is happy with. Hmm. So I think hmm. there's a, there's a couple of ready-made ones that kind of fix that. So there's the the, like the Star Wars games and stuff now. So you know, if you like Star Wars, that's a good shortcut because everybody kind of knows what the universe is like. Uh, if you're on board with that to start with, then you're already there. So that's quite good. So one of the sort of points I wanted to bring up is perhaps one of the issues or things that can be a barrier to, to science fiction games is how to make uh, gunfights interesting, which are always a struggle. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It may, well, you know, my my. Uh... No, I was just just going to say, that mentioning the Star Wars one. That's one the new system with the funky dice that you have to buy multiple sets of. Thank you, FFG, you buggers. Um, is <laughs> interesting things can come out if a certain icon gets rolled. There's supposed to be complications or extra features, which is fine if you are breaking into a canteen or something like that. But when it happens every time you shoot your blaster, you sort of dry up on interesting things that can happen with the, the shot you just made and that sort of thing. Um, so, although it's built into the game that there should be these actual tweaks and complications, coming up with cool stuff for them is a lot harder firing a blaster pistol across a room than it is if you're looping across a table with your sword, for example. The only game I've seen that does the firefights a bit more intricately and, and put more into it is Burning Empires, which is the Burning Wheel derivative, which has its own firefight mechanic, which is cool. It's like a little board game in itself, uh, and it's good. I like it. enjoy it, but... Oh my word, that is a complicated system and you need everybody on board and having read it and it's a big fat book. So that's a struggle yeah. again itself. So how do we do fights with laser rifles, Baz? What, what happens there? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that is, uh, I, I find difficult. Um, it's true in modern day games as well. But then I would find it difficult in D&D if all six of my players all had bows and arrows. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It would look stupid for a start. But then they'd all be saying, you know, I, I shoot at him after the first round. Because you, you kind of run out of ways to do it, don't you? You have to, like, go back and watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, just to find out those are sexy, stunty <laughs> ways of shooting arrows at people. Yeah. So, I mean, well, with the gunfight thing, yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's something that I definitely have to prepare if I'm going to be having a scene in my game where I think there's going to be a gunfight. And you kind of want one, don't you? Um, you need... You need to absolutely stay away from the 30 foot square featureless white walled rooms that you can get away with if you've got axes and swords and that kind of stuff, because you need loads and loads of cover. And I think you need loads of reasons for people to move about. So one of the kind of touchstones for me of a really interesting way to run firefights is it's not from role playing games, although it's close. Um, Imperial Assault, which is the board skirmish game by Fantasy Flight for Star Wars. It's a brilliant game, fantastic production quality. I mean, it's, it's pretty close to, to many tactical role-playing sessions and certainly the combat bits therein. But one of the things it's taught me is that standing and shooting, standing still and shooting at people is just absolutely ineffective. Clearly, there are stormtroopers involved, so you're not going to get hit that often. But the game encourages you to move about. And if you're not running and gunning all the time, you'll just fail your mission because there's got to be objectives for gunfights. Now, in fantasy games, the objective can be kill the other side. In gunfights, if that's the objective, you're going to have a very short campaign because yeah. science fiction weapons are notorious for being able to blow up planets. So if, if, if your game is stand there and shoot at the other side and hope not to come off worse, Ah, oh, it's not going to go well. So there's got to be objectives to those combat scenes that make people move and make people probably do more than just sit behind crates and snipe at each other. Any video game worth its salt that has first-person shooter elements to it puts that sprinkles that kind of objective setting all over it, doesn't it? And then and they can be really good. Um, but yeah, you, you stick with the tech, stick with the guns, because that's that's what makes it science fiction for me. Is when your gun has got like a manufacturer's name. And you've got special grenades for special moments and that kind of stuff. I love the idea of sci-fi combats. But I think you're right. That sometimes get when the game comes unstuck because people just get a bit, uh, they, they turtle up because science fiction games are often quite lethal. Uh, they don't necessarily go the healing potion way, which I get, but they are on the whole a bit too lethal for me. So that makes people get a bit more risk averse and risk averse combatants equals dull fight. Yeah. So 
I don't have the answer, but you know, I think the scenario designer and the GM certainly has has got to put more into the mix than the the, the victory condition for this scene is killing the other side. Because then that brings in the law, apart from anything else. In D&D, you can afford to be completely lawless murder hobo. In fact, that's part of the genre. That's what makes it easy to get into. You start putting that kind of stunt in any rigorous science fiction world, well, there's a, pl- a planetary, if not interstellar police force, is going to come and, well, kill you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. You do need an objective. You need some, need some more interesting stuff to happen. Uh, and I think that's all part of defining the scope of your game. And coming up with interesting stuff with the GM and or players, depending on how your table works. But you can't just have, this is the universe, you got it, what would you like to do? Do you want to do some trading or something? Because you need to narrow it down for your players and you need to have cool scenes and scenarios that come out of that thing. So it might be that science fiction game requires more planning than just letting your players at it that you can do in a, I don't know, a fantasy game where we go and explore this dungeon, can't it? But you can't really do that. So you need to have a bit more of a, I think probably seems a bit sandpit, but have answers in that sandpit or things that are going to happen or bangs or that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, when our, our mate Richard has played Traveller in the past, and and he's 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 said to me before that that he's put together a little subsector, which is basically an interstellar sandbox, isn't it? And you can put all kinds of cool story seeds in all the different worlds and get the player characters together, make them a crew. They're on a ship, and you think, right, off we go. And he says. Every time he's ever done it, it turns into um, uh, a trading company and it becomes about accounting and selling uh, and buying. Uh, and, and very soon someone says, oh, we're going to have to put this on a spreadsheet. And then it, 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 <laughs> does, it just it lacks any kind of drama at all. Yeah, that, and, that uh, sounds pretty rubbish. I, I think, yeah. well, one, one thing you could do, I think possibly a failing, like firefights always seem better on the TV screen. You know, it's hard to replicate and mm-hmm. is one of the things. I think that's one of the other problems we've got with sci-fi is it often looks better with special effects. If you haven't got that budget and rely on people's heads, it's perhaps mm-hmm. not there. Um, but I think also the crews tend to come down to uh, more Firefly-esque. So you just have the crew, which is the player characters. Uh, and I think yeah. a, a, an opportunity for, for gold is more of the Star Trek original series type thing. We've actually got a massive ship. So the away team is, for some reason, always the most important people on the ship plus one in a red shirt, or it's some love interest that uh, you've got an ensign from level seven that you've never seen before, it's only for one episode. But I think that perhaps having a broader uh, crew, maybe an independent captain in a kind of beats quarter junior kind of way, uh, it might be worth introducing to games, having a larger set of characters so you can have some of that kitchen sink drama in your game as well, just between planets, and there's other stuff going on, and you're not just relying on the players themselves. They're all going to work together as a party, generally speaking, for the better bit. Just to throw in some extra stuff that you get in a lot of the sci-fi movies or TV series, you know what I mean? You probably need um, mm-hmm. more interactions that can go on, or dramas, or problems, or there's a saboteur on board. You can't do that just playing Firefly, because you know everybody is. And mm-hmm. everybody will look at that one guy who always tries to run it a lot, so we stop messing about, but he's going to go on this mission and sell some more fruit or whatever they're doing. Yeah, it's, I think one of the better campaigns I've played in Travel was in... Uh, university and that just subverted the genre right from the start so we kind of uh, we were the interstellar trader kind of thing that's the way it was going and i think you've got to try and use a bit of imagination uh and, and go big i think space opera is a phrase i can use but you can like really sort of mess with things because you can blow whole planets up there's a limitless universe out there so let's go crazy one of the things happened was um, we went to a, a mining planet where we were told uh, yeah, we just need to take these machine parts up there. And it's, you know, against the company rules, but we need this face with this sort of slightly shady group in the black market. But, you know, we'll pay you double or whatever it was. So we're like, cool, that sounds amazing. So we went and sold this stuff on this planet, got loads of raw ore and this like, gem like substance or whatever, that's worth loads. I went to trade it somewhere, uh, a more uh, high, low level planet, but we're going to make a massive profit. And we thought everything was ace. We were quite happy with our little spreadsheet doing some trading. And then the port authorities scanned the barrels and they opened one up and all these gems sort of like, or raw gemstones sort of like tumbled out as well as a dead body. And they were like, all right then, what are you lobbing up to? We're like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. We just got to have some blokes. What are you talking about? And then it turned out that the machine parts were taken were gun parts and they'd created this like terrorist uprise on this planet. And we're all of a sudden we're in jail going like, what? No, no, you don't understand. We're just like, we're merchants. I don't get it. And like the, the whole scope of it was like, oh, 
crap. Everything's really gone to shit. But how do we get out of this? They're going to hang us or something or send us the electric chair. Hmm. And then a planetary attack started as the next system over decided to invade. So we got out of prison because a meson cannon hit it and created a fracture in the wall. And we're in the middle of an interplanetary war. Now, there's an adventure, you know, the the, the, mm. uh, the whole just mm. trading things like you do in the league thing goes out the window. You've got, you have got massive scope. Low planet stuff, I guess, is another thing you can do. Or, you know, have it really high scale, high end stuff. You don't need to be half to do the movers and shakers necessarily, although you can be. But yeah, if we're going sci fi, why not go big? You know, go large and go home. What do you say? Uh, I think. I think you've hit on sort of two points there, mate, that, I, that you can apply to, to almost any games, to be honest, because, I mean, Apocalypse World gives you the good lesson, doesn't it, of, like, everything's in the crosshairs, you know, just yeah. destroy it. <laughs> you, you can always bring more <laughs> stuff in, but, but you can't be too precious about your little your little creation. Um, but you've got two things there, mate. So there's the big bit about, I think, the really big cast of thousands type stuff because space is so big, it seems such a shame to limit your games to like 30 cubic meters of oxygen wrapped up in a container flying through the galaxy relatively <laughs> slowly, which is what's going to happen with crews on ships. But if you go for that kind of troop play, and this is something that Burning Empires goes for. I, I don't know how successful it is, mate, because like you, I just bounced off of its 500 pages of dense, dense, dense text. Um, so... You know, you've got, uh, you've got loads and loads of cutscenes where you might have some ability squabbling around an oval table with a star field out the window behind them. And then you might have some fighter pilots as well who are like responding to their instructions 25 parsecs away. And then you've got like some alien ex, uh, archaeologists excavating something really weird on a, on a dark moon somewhere. But it's all part of the same game and it's from a big rotating cast of characters that maybe on a week by week basis, you, you pluck certain bits out of the universe to play in and they're all connected or maybe just move from even scene to scene if you're feeling really ambitious. And, and, you know, I think you could, you could be playing half a dozen different characters. Uh, and that gives it that kind of interstellar scope that we talked about early on and just the feeling of like vast distances and grand schemes and, and, and the relative slowness of everything, like an instruction from the center of the empire might take decades to reach the the wild planets out on the edge that's really cool so do all of that and i think you could apply that to a lot of games actually with some troop play and then uh, do the other stuff you talked about that i can't remember so whatever your second point was <laughs> that, was that was a good, dead, as well. good too oh <laughs> blowing stuff up yeah yeah breaking stuff <laughs> yeah yeah why not why not go for big epic storylines I mean, I've played in an awful lot of science fiction games at cons because I, I like them and I, I want to give it a go. And, and the science fiction short stories are really good art form. But very often they're kind of low key and they take the, they take the form of like small town investigations um, where actually it doesn't feel that dissimilar to a reskinned X-Files game. Mm. And I don't really know what was particularly sci-fi about it. I'm not saying everything should be space opera. That's just my personal thing. But... But you wouldn't know. Um, and it does take a bit more than just lasers and, and spacesuits, I think, to make it really science fiction. But, but a lot of the games are that kind of low key where there might be like a planetary governor is corrupt. Uh, and by the time you played it through, you thought, if I just went through this and copy pasted and did find replace, it could be a Warhammer scenario. Mm. And that, that seems to be a shame when you've got a universe of, of cool stuff to play with. And I think apart from just blowing up worlds and stuff, you know, that, which is a bit Star Warsy. In fact, it's very Star Warsy. You've got kind of like, you know, those massive space objects that, that are a big part of science fiction novels, which I love to read, like Ring Worlds and stuff by Ian M. Banks, where you've just got just massive, impenetrable, ancient things hanging in space, which are terrifying and awesome at the same time. And, and there can be some explorations to do and some some aliens who've got, just plans that are almost incomprehensible, but then you end up getting mixed up in them at a really big level. Because the fiction is awesome, the, the books that is. Yeah. Translating those down to the tabletop, that, that's where it gets a bit tricky. And and I guess that's the point of our question today, isn't it? Is what stops it happening when it seems to happen so readily when you put swords and chainmail on people's character sheets? It's not a problem then, is it? No. No, it's really weird. I think I've had some really, I've had some good convention games but that's a really like you say some pedestrian ones and i don't understand why it happens 
So we signed up Dragon Me one year for a Star Blazer adventure game, which was, you know, that's the size of a telephone directory. It has a massive spaceship on the front. And we wanted a tower punching game. And the GM promised it. We thought, well, this is going to be awesome. And we were basically playing it on a dust ball that was like, I think his opening statement was something like, imagine 1800s uh, Utah or something. I was like, I don't want to. Why have I not got a bubble helmet and a ray gun? Like, what's, what's going on in here? And the, the most science fiction get thing in there was a pool table. And I really don't understand what, like, how, how can you be pimping Star Blazer Adventures and then you play farmers from Utah in the 1800s? I don't really don't get it. That was kind of love which pitched it. Yeah, I played traveler games that are very similar. We're like, say, just merchants. And the only interesting thing seems to be arguing over the price of the apples that you would take to the next system over, which doesn't seem to make any sense at all. Like, how can space fuel be more cheap than the, the apples you transported? Like, I don't, you know, some of the economics mm. don't seem right. When you've got all these limitless prompt, uh, possibilities, and uh, like you say, you can find ancient alien artifacts. In fact, I played, um, I think it was a concrete cow I played in a, a dark heresy game or a rogue trade or something like that. And All right. that seemed to be a real bait and switch for me. And I don't know what the, the GM's thoughts were, the other players, to be honest, but it was kind of sold that we're this like uh, nobility as rogue traders are. You've got kind of like a massive two mile long ship. You can, you know, buy hundreds of mercenaries or you know, all kinds of big stuff there. I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. And we got told about or found a contact that had three different planets and there was one that had an interdiction against it. So you were forbidden from going there on pain of death from the Emperor. Uh, and there was weird alien technology and stuff like that. And, and two other equally interesting planets nearby. And we were rubbing our hands as players going, this is amazing, this sounds great. Uh, and then an Inquisitor turned up and told us we weren't allowed to go to any of them. And we had to go to this barren asteroid instead. <laughs> and it was like, really? <laughs> Like, you've painted so far for me something that sounds a really exciting game, and we've got one of three choices. Maybe if we hurry, we can whip round all three, you know, and then you tell us that we can't have yeah. that, and we've got to go to the store instead. And the first part of the adventure, I ended up arguing with a receptionist on this asteroid manufacturing planet who wouldn't let us in. And it's like, this is just mm. surreal, you know. It's like being told you're the king and queen, and then someone won't let you into Argos. It was just like a bizarre adventure. Like, it's, it's perhaps... I don't know. Is this perhaps it's expectations that some gems have a are trying to make things more familiar? They want to give you the background and flavour, but don't want to let you play it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. But I'd love to play some science fiction at conventions that's got gives you what it promises. Do you know what I mean? I think that's part mm. of the difference is that there's a mismatch between reading about a setting or seeing a film or getting excited about that kind of level of stuff, and then what you actually get to do and play. Is that a thing? Have you encountered something like that, or is it just me? Well, uh, I was going to ask you about your experiences because you bring up Dark Heresy, which was going to be uh, it, those those 40k role playing games. I haven't played them very much. I've got Dark Heresy somewhere. I played a couple of sessions, no more than that. Um, and, and and there's clearly there's loads and loads of good gaming in there because I know my 40k universe really well. And and if if I were going to get a successful sci-fi game going with my group i would probably have to say let's play star wars or let's play 40k just because they know the source material so well sure. i would have thought you you cannot go wrong with a 40k role-playing game because it's just made out of scenarios i know it's got a big hierarchy and when an inquisitor tells you to do something you've kind of got to do it i think that's just sloppy scenario design though in that case isn't it mm. You know, and, and the same thing could have happened in a game of Legend of the Five Rings or in Waterdeep in a D&D world. You know, some big NPC says no, and you know that you can't say no. That's 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 not giving you any choice at all. But how can you go wrong with a 40k game? I was going to ask if you'd had much experience of it, because there's what? There's Dark Heresy where you're an Inquisitor's warband, which is basically a and d party. So, and you can have a Barbarian too. So that that's just super cool because you've got like, you know, uh, carte blanche to go off and do things in the name of the emperor and it's going to be dirty and skulky and you can go and play necromunda essentially with dice brilliant and then there's road trader road traders like you know flying around being navigators and, and essentially being really pious space pirates and just cool for because it's called road trader and you you've sold me those two words and then you get to be a space marine in the other one yeah yeah uh, right all right enough said so those games cannot get it wrong. So maybe that's where all the science fiction goodness is. But I tell you what, I don't see, and maybe I'm looking in the wrong places, I don't see a lot of buzz for those role-playing games. Um, and I, maybe I am looking in the wrong places. 
but it's not hitting the generalist forums like RPGNet or UK role players. Not very often. Is there a scene for it, mate? I mean, you know, you live in the in the Games Workshop town. Surely they have 40k RPG parades every every other Sunday, don't they? I'd like to think so. Wouldn't you? That'd be awesome. Apparently not. No, but some of my early role playing in Nottingham went to uh, Bugman's Bar, which is at GW headquarters, and played some games there um, before they got a bit testy about it. But very rarely was anyone playing Warhammer, as in the role playing game, or 40k mm. or anything like that. The, you know, the, the regulars and staff, in fact, were more likely to be seen playing Pathfinder or something of that nature than their own game system, if you know what I mean, which I found a little bit odd. Um, I don't know, it's, it's a weird mix. It's one of those games that attracts its fans. So if you're into the 40k universe, then you'll want to play Dark Heresy. Uh, the trouble can be, or what I found intimidating, even as an ex-Games Workshop manager, and having lived it for, you know, months on end, is there seem to be people who know a whole lot more about that universe than I do. Certainly now, because I've been out mm-hmm. of the loop for a while. But even, you know, 10 years ago, there's people who just knew a whole lot more. So I'm trying to run a game of it. It seemed to be a little bit more about getting your canon correct and the special mm. secrets that you knew in knowing glances than about having fun in a particular setting. Uh, and that might just be my experience, which hasn't been massively broad, but it tends to be one of those uh, things like Grantha, I guess, or, or things like that, where you've got really diehard fans who want to prove they know the most about it and seem more interested in making knowing comments and glances at each other than having fun in the setting or doing their own thing. You know, really concerned with the canon and the particular characters and who you can talk to. You know, an inquisitor comes up and people immediately say, oh, it's an inquisitor. We have to do what they say. Whereas in that scenario I mentioned, I was like, well, let's just not bother and go somewhere else. But the GM made it really clear that that was an inquisitor. We had to do what he said. Otherwise, you know, the world was going to end or something. And that felt really bit, really limiting, I guess, is the, the problem with it. That yeah, people who yeah. really like that stuff and talk about it on forums want to adhere to it like it's gospel instead of taking it and doing their own thing and having like really awesome stories because the background's amazing. You know, the, if there's one thing GW have done well on 40k, especially, is the background. You know, there's loads of intricate detail and cool stuff and factions and, and possibilities. So I'd love someone to pick it up and go with it. I guess the other thing for me is that the system's a little bit wonky. You kind of fix things and tweak them as they've gone along. So I think is it only war or something like that was the last book we played, Imperial Guardsman, which I haven't played. Yeah, cool. But they've um, yeah, they've, so they've shaped the system as they've gone along and, and got better at it. But I think it does suffer. It feels like, for example, you see some of the heavy bolter, and in playtesting that wasn't really a threat. And we met, I think we mentioned that, and probably the beef did as well. <laughs> and now it's like a nuclear option. You know, it's like. These weapons of mass destruction no one wants to use because as soon as someone does, that's your character eviscerated. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's getting the balance level right as well. You can die easily, really easily. And then you come back into troop play again like you need a squad of soldiers because your current character is going to die very quickly. So, I think there's, there's gold in them dark hills. It's just finding someone who's going to run it along with a bunch of people who want to play it at face value and not worry too much about getting it right in case the GW police come around and tell them off. But that could just be my yeah. limited experience. I'm sure there's people out there having an awesome time with it. Uh, you just don't hear from them, unfortunately. Yeah, it could be. I'll, I'll, I'm going to flip this one over on his head a little bit. I wonder if like some of the struggles that we have with sci-fi games, because you think, how can you get 40k wrong? How can it not absolutely fly week in, week out? I wonder if it's, as a player, and I've probably played more sci-fi games than I have uh, GM'd or, or written scenarios for them, I wonder if it's the approach from the player's angle as well, because we we often talk from GM to GM and we're talking about like, you know, getting the right system and the right setting and pitching it and all of that sort of stuff. But the players have a huge responsibility too. And I have to admit that sometimes when I approach sci-fi games, maybe I'm just approaching it with the wrong mindset myself. And as a party, and calling it a party kind of, you know, gives you my prejudices straight away. That's not the way to approach a science fiction game. Because, you know, the guys even in the Star Wars films don't run around like a D&D party. In fact, nothing runs around like a D&D party except in D&D. It just doesn't work in, in any other situation at all, yeah. does it? So it, it could be there's just, you know, that as expectations, it's not just your, the role playing you grew up on in shiny spacesuits been reskinned. You've got to have a fundamental change of attitude towards your game as well. 
and not be murder hobos. Maybe that's it. Maybe. Not sure, mate. Because the only other thing that I've seen that's... Because the, the weird thing is the at the other end of the games, I don't see a lot of 40k games out there, but you can't move for Firefly games. And that's got to be the closest thing to a traditional party of adventurers that, that I've seen in sci-fi for ages. Because that's basically what they are, aren't they? And, yeah. they, and, they, and they, they move around pulling off robberies, essentially. Mm-hmm. So is that is that what's made it work, that it's got it back to that party of adventurers vibe? Yeah, maybe it's reduced the tech. I think one of the things about Firefighters good as a setting is that well, I'm not really convinced by the brown cars. I know everybody loves them and you can't take the sky off me and all that kind of uh, nonsense, but I, I'm almost on the side of the, can't really called, but the, the uh, what the Alliance. Them? The Alliance, that's it. Yeah, because the colour everybody's shocked who listens to this podcast, by the way, that you're almost <laughs> with the Alliance. <laughs> but it's not until later episodes or the, the end of the film sort of thing you realise the Alliance might be dodgy, but they presented in the first part, it's just like, oh, we don't like the Alliance. And it's not really clear why, because they've got really super good tech and amazing medical stuff, and, you know, like they save lives and everything's in nice, clean places. And not mm. living in these rat holes at the back, stealing off people, which is what the main characters are doing. And you kind of mm. think, well, what's so bad about the Alliance? Actually, they seem pretty good, and their worlds are all nice and shiny, and everybody's looked after. So I like that kind of dichotomy. Um, and there's this kind of like cool, nice, clean version of why you kind of like, well, why are these people hanging on to this rebellion? I think there's some there's some gold there that you, you players could be rebels, but they're just kind of not necessarily on the right side, unlike in Firefly, perhaps that you know. I like the idea of different factions and stuff. I think definitely them as a party in a, a cluster group who bicker and stuff like that definitely helps it. But I'm wondering if part of it, which is sort of disappointing, is it goes back to Cowboys again, doesn't it? And they've kind of got revolvers and all this yeah. kind of stuff and, and go to mudstream mining planets and things like that. He's almost taking away the science fiction bit. So if that's what's making it work, having this party out on the fringes, you're kind of not doing science fiction as much anymore because you haven't got the big alliance ships with a cool technology and all that. You've actually just got these rust bucket ships and sort of make your own bullets in the back of it and a lot can you you know move cows from one planet to another, which seems bizarre. Yeah, why you transport? You know, I don't know. There must be a surely be transporting embryos in vast cryogenic chambers or something that immediately makes it more cool to me than having cows in ship. Mm. I don't know. Mm. It's perhaps making it work by taking some of the science fiction out, which is not what I'm driving for. I still want to see a really good science fiction game. So you kind of still want to have the cool stuff uh, while maintaining, I think, the fun of Firefly and having a party or a close-knit group or the bits that make it work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so so let's... I, I, yeah, I agree with all of that, mate. So uh, as fun as it is, and I really enjoy watching Firefly, and I love Serenity, but it's, it's not a game that I want to play particularly because it's licensed property and they're just weird generally <laughs> um, but anyway so 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 let's let's build it mate uh, and they will come so you know if we could if we could try and get over some of our personal issues with that type of game what would we do would we if you had to if you were at a gun to your head a blaster to your head let's say and you had to run a, a six-week game and it had to be science fiction and, and space science fiction rather than post-apocalypse or cyberpunk or anything where would you start I, I, I'm guessing you'd, you'd look to Savage or would you pull a pre-done game off the shelf like Eclipse Phase or, or one of the Star Wars boxes how, how would you start putting it together in order to try and get over that hump I think I'd, I would go for, for Savage or something like that, a generic system I think a lot of the uh, bespoke systems that have been created aren't necessarily created uh, like the indie games are in terms of getting an experience, if you know what I mean. They just seem to be another generic system, but being used for a particular sci-fi game. And I don't think they give us anything extra that we haven't already got. So if you like Fate, you could do Fate. I think it's a bit too woolly for me, so I, I want something a bit more crunchy because it's if you play a game with technology in it, I want some numbers to move up and down and to matter, if you know what I mean. Mm. I did run a one-off kind of science fiction game that... Um, the last couple of conventions I've gone to a bit sort of aliens slash um, like Event Horizon, all that kind of ashtrays in space stuff. And I think that Savage worked perfectly well for that. So I'd probably go with that again because you can have guns and they're not immediately lethal necessarily. So I think that works from that point of view, although they can be, yeah. you know, they can take you out of the fight and that sort of thing. So I think that's worth having. 
and I think we need to fold in some of the elements that we've had that we've talked about. So I definitely have um, a session where we put the game together ourselves. So we make sure that everybody understands what scope we're playing within. I'd want a ship because you want to be able to fly around and go to places, right? But you want an expanded cast of characters. There might be only 20 on the crew or something, but you want some other people on there you can interact with or do things or mess things up for you. Or, you know, mm. maybe there's a saboteur on board or something. That definitely gives you scope for extra stuff to happen in between planets, which is often the boring bit. And you just wait to get mm. to the next place. So that'd be cool as well. I think you'd have to set out in a diaspora style kind of a number of planets or systems so that you can all have a bit of an input into that and know where you played in. So you have some familiarity for that few weeks. Um, and sort out your technology level as well. I think that's a big thing in science fiction that you quite often bump up against. It's kind of, it's, if you do get your arm cut off, can you get a new one? Or that sort of, you know, these, these are all questions that going into a game, you, you just don't know. You, know you, you struggle with the scope of finding where the barriers are. So I think that's my first setup. Uh, and then it's getting the personal investment of people in the thing that's happening. You know, in the, I think it works for most games, to be honest, but particularly in science fiction, it can seem impersonal or because of this huge universe and no one cares about how the mighty empires or, you know, whatever else that doesn't seem to care about you and your partial seems to be just to, at the bottom and no one cares. You need to have some personal stake in it and what's going on, whether you are trading princes or related to someone or part of a, a resistance or whatever it might be. I think you need to invest that personal stake in what's actually happening to make it a good game. And I think that's missing. You quite often, I think, in sci-fi mm. games, just dropped into this universe and say, okay, do what you want. I need a mission. I think that's something we discussed many times in role-playing games. Mm. You need to know what, what are we trying to achieve here? What are we doing? What's the end look like? When, are we, when would our characters be happy? What are they trying to achieve? So that's my starting point. How about you? Have you got stuff to build on that or something you do differently? Yeah, well, I, I, I think... Yeah, I would do exactly the same. We probably quibble over systems, but yeah, that's that's just good advice, mate. And and I think I would come from it from a different angle to you, but I suppose it's kind of similar in that we're we're kind of starting with something we're comfortable with. So you would go with Savage, and your players would probably have played a lot of Savage with you in the past. So you'd you you wouldn't immediately be running up against that just bizarro character sheet and looking at strange scientific skills they've never heard of before. So they can just get playing which will sort of break the back of it, won't it? Yeah. So for me to do that with my group, um, strangely enough, one of the things that I've been investigating recently, again, for the first time in ages, Dungeon Crawl Classics, which sounds like a bizarre choice of system to be playing like um, space piratey games. But actually, do you remember when we had Dan Sellon from the Undercroft? We were talking about really? OSR. And he was talking about, as, as many people in the OSR do, about it's just a convenience those rules mm. and the most convenient thing about it is they don't have to worry about those rules because they've been so internalized by now that everybody gets it and they're so malleable and flexible that you can just work with it and do crazy stuff and it, it just doesn't break so i i might actually pick out some osr dnd style rules reflavor them completely and just totally hand wave all of the tech stuff. Just sprinkle loads of really good jargon in, um, loads of techno babble, make it bright, make it colourful, as you would do with any adventure, really. Um, but I would, uh, you know, I would just tip X out crossbow and write laser pistol. And because the rules are going to be so familiar, I think we're going to be halfway there. And instead of fighter, you just put that Rebel Alliance soldier it's just a lot of renaming isn't it and then just get the game going and as it turns out when i was doing some investigation there's loads and loads of material for dungeon crawl classics for exactly that there's a whole series of fanzines called crawl jammer which uh which are just uses their basic idea dnd in space so there's really cool stuff going on in venus and mars and the asteroid belt and they just hand wave so much stuff it just doesn't matter how fast you float in space and how many rounds it takes for you to die of exposure because it just doesn't come up. It just doesn't, you know, get on with it. And then there's all the sword and planet stuff like John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Is it science fiction? Yeah, kind of, but it's also got one sandal in the fantasy camp. So I think take the familiar and just blow it forward and almost sneak up on your players. They don't even know they're in a sci-fi game. And by the time they figured it out, you've gotten over that three or four session hump, haven't you? And then you've got a campaign. 
So I think that would be my method. I Take think... the familiar and stick a grenade in it. Yeah, it sounds great. I'm not a massive fan of the OSR. I don't really get on board with the whole, like, you're a character who probably die and then you get another one, it's fine. That's that's not for me. But if you, if you like that sort of game, that gets over a lot of the problems. If you want a game with phases in which can disintegrate someone, that's great in an OSR style science fiction game. You know, save versus death, they've been evaporated or whatever, yeah. disintegrated or that. Well, it's perfectly fine. And now you're Edson yeah. Watkins because your last character is now a pile of dust on the floor. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's all <laughs> kinds of stuff like that. And you can have a crew of the Enterprise because you need 400 extra backup characters <laughs> for the horrible things Correct. that can happen on away missions to all your other characters that you've got in a minute. Yeah, I think that can yeah. work really what, well. If, what's yeah. more alien than... Dwarves and elves and halflings, mate. That's that's three other planets for you, right? There. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice. aliens. That, that sounds fun. I reckon you could do that. In fact, that that sounds great. Yeah, different convention. But that's right. Up. I want to play a one shot where we've got the crew of a ship. <laughs> and that's the thing, isn't it? Because whenever you pitch any science fiction game, it just sounds great. It doesn't matter whether it's hard sci-fi or it's like a really cool cyberpunk thing on another planet or it's about mind transfer in the asteroid belt. They all sound really good. I want to play them all, but I just it just doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to get anywhere and not have the legs that other, that other games necessarily do. So. And that that's the shame, isn't it? I think that's why we're having this discussion at all. Is because we we really want to do this stuff. Uh, all of these pitches are sound a million times better than you meet in a in a bar in a fantasy city, and you know there's going to be a murder to investigate in 1920s Dunwich, or or all of the other genres that seem to have no problem at all keeping groups going for a very long time. True that. Um, may, maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe you do have to start with something fairly small and mundane. And just, you know, get some hours under your belt. In fact, I'm sure it is. I think you just got to get some hours under your belt and not overthink it too much. Yeah, I'd still, I'm still looking for that science fiction game. I haven't found it yet. Uh, I haven't tried Star Wars. I've seen it play and stuff. Mm. It's, it's, weird. it's a weird one. Because uh, my government, uh, Bez, uh, won't play Star Wars because he reckons Star Wars is for kids. And, <laughs> and this comes from the guy. He used to set his alarm early on a Saturday morning so he could get up to watch the cartoons. I love the Transformers. Can't get enough Earth Dawn. Loves being an elf. Um, but apparently Star Wars is for kids. All the other stuff's fine. That's for grown men. <laughs> oh dear. So I can't oh get dear. to play Star Wars, unfortunately. I'm sure it's very good. It's got all that stuff you've asked for. It's, it, it, Star Wars has got it all. It's got like, you know, we've, we've got, uh, we, it's in the queue for us to play in our weekly group. We've got the Age of Rebellion one where you play rebel soldiers. You get missions. You're on the good guy's side. You know what you've got to do to win. And, and we can all make pew pew noises and get our little TIE fighter models out. It's, it's got it going on. It, strangely, it doesn't feel like sci-fi to me. I can't go with Bez's opinion that it's for kids. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not hard edged and cold enough for me to count. I, I think I'm with you on the dirty ashtrays in space and the alien vibe would be a bit more sci-fi for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to someone to put a, a something together that was not apocalypse world engine because. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm happy that people have fun with it. I'm sick of the sight of it now because everything's been in Puppets World. I want something different. And it plays in a certain way where there's got to be antagonism and these little triangles with power struggle and all the rest of it. And that's not what I want from a sci-fi game necessarily. So not a Puppets World engine, but something like that. Because uh, so, what a Puppets World did for Mad Max gaming and that sort of thing by bringing out his core game, I want to see something like that for sci-fi that's got a really tight focus a system that, that works but isn't like overly burdened with different sciences or technical skills or a, a, a bewildering array of different technical weapons or whatever and spaceship construction rules, which is all cool, but I don't think that's working for me at the minute and I've got limited time to get something in. Hmm. So I'd like a science fiction game that's got a good accessible setting with clear missions and a set of rules to support playing that game. So if someone could write one of those, that'd be awesome. Please, thank you. Very good. I'll sign up to the Flaytester now. But uh, yeah, I, don't, I, th I think we're sort of missing it, or I, I'm missing it. I've not played it or something like that. I don't think it, I don't want it to be fate because you know there's, there's lots of fate science fiction, and that feels very generic. I think I want something bespoke that is designed specifically for playing a certain type of science fiction game and supports that method of play. That's what I'm looking for. Is that not like, the closest thing I can think of? Don't have a huge exposure to it. You might know more than me. Is that not the last parsec for Savage Worlds? Uh, I don't know because I backed it, but I only backed it on PDF. 
So they've sat on my hard drive <laughs> for the last few months, <laughs> along with 47 other games that I'm back on Kickstarter and immediately go to a digital black hole that no, no one can escape from. Yeah. Uh, yeah I started reading true. the intros. Yeah. yeah, I started reading the intros on a couple of them and just found them a little bit. I wasn't grabbed. You want it to be grabby, don't you? Like you said, these are the things we've talked mm-hmm. about where we're getting really excited and say, I want to play that. I want to play a Blue Planet. I want to play Star Wars. I want to be the Firefly crew. I started reading one of the last Parsec ones. It was about, there's this asteroid belt that people go mining in. And sort of three or four pages in, I was still waiting for the bit where I go, this sounds awesome. I want to do that. Um, it was kind of written in the way of a lot of the early savage stuff from Pinnacle in a kind of, ha ha, there's this mystery going on and we're not going to tell you about it. But here's some, Things that might be happening, but we're not going to tell you too much. And it's kind of like, do you know what? As a GM, can we skip all that? Can you get to the bit where you tell me in a one page what's happening? And then you go into the, all the yeah. cool details about it and start being vague. You know, it feels like someone posted on Facebook saying, Oh, I'm so depressed and not getting any more information. You can't, I can't be bothered. Just, you know, give me the, <laughs> give me the juice up front. Or if you genuinely want help or someone to talk to, like talk to me, you know, don't stop messing about. It might be better if you get into it. I might be better picking them up, up and going to the gym only bit and reading that and probably getting a bit more excited, um, which I may do at some point. But yeah, I, I don't know. Savage comes with its certain sprinkling of pulp, doesn't it? I think just by it does, yeah. the nature of the system. Same as fate, I'll be more so with fate. So I'd like to see something yeah. a bit more uh, crunchy, maybe. I don't know. Or a bit of a sharp range. Like I say, I want something specifically for sci fi. Which will deal with when you get into a firefight, having something around that, you know, something that will genuinely reward firing the a cover or that sort of thing. Or mm. one of the sci-fi things I really liked, uh, just from a film point of view, was the David Lynch June uh, movie that came out ages yeah. and ages ago. And there's a property that's never worked. Yeah. They've never got a role-playing game right for that, have they? No. Well, there was one, wasn't there, last year he can't produced it. But then immediately yep. got bought out and went disappeared into obscurity. So I've no idea if that was any good or not because the book's about 100 quid on eBay. Mm. I ain't paying that to find out. But yeah, that, that whole kind of blocky shield thing. So you can't just shoot each other with lasers. You have to get up and cross a person with a knife or the weird voice activated modulators of the, you know, blow stone pillars up and things like that. That all felt really cool. Somebody write that. I think there was one, wasn't there, actually? For, I'm not sure, was, was it Burning Wheel or it was some subsystem of something that someone did to that. Yeah. All this stuff seems to be fan made. Uh, do you know what? I think that's probably where science fiction gaming that is. You work out what you want and then you write your own stuff for that, that sort of gaming rather than trying to rely on it providing what you want because of the limitless scope, as I keep mentioning. I'm sick of saying it now. But yeah, you need to like define what you want and make your own gaming out of that. I think that's, that might be my solution. I might just stop looking for it and just make it myself. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, mate. I think um, you know, there's no need to wait for like the Mass Effect role playing game because it's already been out there by millions of fans who've arguably done a better job already, and they've picked either Cinematic Unit System or Savage or Fate or whatever. And, and those generic systems are, are are really good as springboards for you to to do your own thing. Um, and it's all splintered off, and it's dead good. I mean, the one I'm still waiting for, mate. You know, you can wait as long as you want for June. At least you did get something published for it. I'm still, uh, I've still got money reserved for Equinox, which, <laughs> which <laughs> for, the, for the two or three people in the world who remember what that was, was the uh, once announced but never actually delivered upon successor to Earth Dawn, but in space. So the idea was you had Earth Dawn, then you had Shadow Run for a little bit, and Equinox was going to be the far future one using the Earth Dawn mechanics. Oh, it's going to be brilliant. The setting actually did get a release, um, just the raw text with no mechanics in it whatsoever, which you'd think is going to be even better, but it fell into the same PDF hole as your stuff does, mate. Mm. I've got it, and I didn't read it at all, but that it, it, that missed its moment because that would have been it for me. Um, that would have been, in many ways, I think, the perfect game. Still looking, though. It's like the Great White Whale, isn't it? Still yeah. looking for that perfect, not quite generic, but the science fiction game that gets you excited and is playable and that you can get a group together for. That's the sticking point, isn't it? There's loads of games do bits of that. Yeah. But I haven't found one that's, that's you know, the right temperature bowl of porridge yet. Yeah, it's a real shame about Equinox, just that was one that was, um, I'd heard, I think there's like four years worth of writing went into it and then things happened mm. in the company and, and got moved around and Fasso reappeared and all the rest of it and the, the guy who wrote it just got nothing. He was on one of those yeah. contracts where uh, 
your pay when we publish and they didn't publish it. So that's I think that's why you got your setting, is <laughs> he didn't want to have wasted that long of his life. So he sent out the stuff he could do that wasn't to do with rules that are now copyrighted or whatever else. So, yeah, real shame. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Never mind. I'm sure someone's knocking it together with a copy of Space Master. As yeah, absolutely. Along with the research okay, so, etc. Oh dear, I definitely can't move on once you started mentioning that. Right, <laughs> so we don't have an answer, I don't think, do we this time, mate? So, you know, what what would we do if we were presented with the option of running sci-fi? We would sit there like needy players at their first convention, looking eagerly at the lack of GM behind the plasma-coated screen that yeah. says sci-fi game cancelled due to lack of interest. <laughs> Help us into that you're our only hope. I think it's one of those times. Yeah, we need proven wrong on this, don't we? Because I, yeah. I kind of really hope that there's loads of people going, you absolute, you, you're joking. How have you not got good sci-fi campaigns going? You know what you're doing. And they want to tell us about their traveler campaigns or their their 40K crossover games where they've used like all four of the core books to just run the best gaming ever. And they've been too busy playing it to post about it on the internet. But now's their chance. So, you know, come on, prove us wrong. Tell us about your, your great sci-fi games and, and what it takes to, to get things moving. What are the simple t- tips, tricks, techniques that turn it from a fizzling one-shot into a glorious year-long campaign of photons amongst the stars? Get in touch. Yeah, that'd be great. There's a pint waiting for the person who can present, present me with a great sci-fi game. So uh, get out there and earn it. Cheers, guys. Thank you, fellas. See you next time. <laughs>